Good day, everyone. Uh, my name is Jake. If we haven't met, uh, if you want to turn with me back to that first Bible reading, it's on page 920. Uh, if you want to turn back there, Amos chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending our time tonight. And uh, I'd really recommend that we all have it open in front of us, seeing what God has to say. And I'm going to try and help us understand what He's said. Uh, even I'm having trouble finding it. 920. Um, Amos chapter 5, that's where we'll be as I get prepared. Alrighty, well, I'm really excited, let's get stuck into it. Now, most of us, I assume, love stories where in complete hopelessness, victory is somehow managed. We often see it in movies, in books, I know I love to feel it and see it in sport. Now, a little bit about me. Uh, My family raised me in the religion of NRL rather than the Lord. Uh, So recently, when watching my favourite team in an elimination final, it was about 30 minutes to go, and I've watched enough games of footy to know my team were, they were done. They had no hope whatsoever. Now, I turned the TV off in frustration, and to my wife's delight, I let out my frustration by cooking the dinner. Um, I had to take my mind off it. But I couldn't help but occasionally check my phone just in case a miracle had happened. You see, I was holding out hope. Well, why do I talk about this? Well, by the time we get to Amos chapter 5, the situation for Israel is completely hopeless. Amos 5 verse 2, if you've got it open there in front, if you have a look, verse 2, fallen is virgin Israel never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. So certain is their hopelessness, it's written as though it's already happened. And yet, we read in verse 15, later in the passage, perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Do you feel the tension here? You know, God is just, full judgment must occur. And it seems to have been laid down, but perhaps mercy. The big question tonight is, how can God execute full and deserved judgment and yet still offer life? In other words, how can there be hope in complete hopelessness? Now, I hope this question is enough to keep you interested, uh, but maybe that's not enough. Maybe you think this is some old prophetic book. It's about God's judgment on poor old Israel and you've already switched off. Don't let that be you. I am convinced that God wants us all to listen tonight to what he has to say and at times it could be heavy. We're going to see the seriousness of human sin and God's judgment on it. Some of us may realise we've put our hope in all the wrong places. Some of us may realise we've grown complacent. We've presumed on the riches of God's kindness without knowing. We need to listen. We need to respond. And I hope and I'm going to pray now that God will help us to see his wonderful mercy and life offered to the utterly hopeless. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this word to us in Amos chapter 5. Help us to listen. Help us to hear your word to us and help me to speak clearly and faithfully. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Alright, well it may seem like tonight we're jumping around the passage a bit, so I've got this diagram in a sense to help us understand the structure of, uh, of what we read. Uh, so at the start and the end of the passage, kind of sandwiching it, we have uh, Israel's hopelessness. And as we zoom in a bit further, verses 4 to 6, verses 14 to 15, we see hope. Going in a bit further, we see the guilt of Israel, verse 7, verse 10 to 13, and then right at the centre... We see the character and power of God. The one commanding all that is happening tonight. So we're going to explore this as we go and I hope that just helps us to see why we're kind of jumping around a bit, the structure there. But let's go on your outlines. Point one, Israel's utter hopelessness. If you do have an outline, if you're a note taker, would encourage that. It helps me to concentrate. We're going to work through these points. Point one, Israel's hopelessness. And the response is lament. Verse 1, have a look at your passage. Hear this word Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Now this isn't a, ah, finally you've got it, you've got what you deserve kind of moment. There is actually compassion and sadness from Amos. You see, this is God's people Israel we're talking about. Verse 2, fallen never to rise again. It's absolutely devastating. And so the grief flows through the passage in response to God's judgment. Verse 3, have a look. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will only have a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. The big cities, the small towns, none of them are going to escape. Ninety percent is the figure that's destroyed. This is massive. And so by the end of the passage, verse 16 to 17, that, that bookend of hopelessness, we read, have a look, verse 16, there will be wailing in all the streets, cries of anguish in every public square, the farmers summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. This is a funeral song of absolute certainty. In verse 17 we read of the Lord passing through their midst. This is a reminder of uh, the ten plagues in Egypt uh, when God took the firstborn son but passed over those who trusted in the Lord. So the devastation that Israel were protected from in the past is now knocking on their door. Now the judgment that Israel faces is absolute and sure. But it isn't pointless or bad luck either. It's completely deserved despite God's patience. Now if you hear last week, we looked at the first four chapters of this book. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 6 to 12, uh, we see Israel's sin. They trample the poor, they deny justice to the oppressed. Sexual immorality runs rife, they prevent prophecy. Early in chapter 4, they boast in their sacrifices, they prevent prophecy. Uh, they take God for granted. And then by the end of chapter 4... Despite the Lord's intervention in famine and rain and plagues, they don't turn back. It's too late. But either side of the centrepiece of who God is, Amos again reminds Israel of their sin. We see it in verse 7, verses 10 to 12. Have a look. Verse 7, there are those who turn justice into bitterness, cast righteousness to the ground. Verse 10, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court. They detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor, impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. Verse 12, for I know how many are your offences. 
and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. It's not a pretty picture, but if you've read in the first four chapters, there's probably no massive surprises here. But verse 12 is sobering and worth reflecting on. God says, I know how many are your offences. God is not lazy in counting their sin. He counts them all, every single one. Verse 12 again, I know how great your sins are. God doesn't lump it all into one big pile. He actually, he knows and feels the weight and seriousness of each individual sin. Now you may or may not realise this, but the God of the Bible does not change. So it would be foolish for us to just not stop and reflect on how serious human sin is in the eyes of God. Now this sin is especially serious as Israel, we're talking about tonight in Amos 5, are God's chosen people. They're special to him. Chapter 3, verse 2, uh, feel free to look at that later. They should represent him. But they have rejected him. They are guilty. Now the destruction and the grief are not by chance. It's not unwarranted. I hope we've seen that. God's long patience has come to an end. Chapter 1, the lion has roared. So the situation is utterly hopeless for Israel. But in case they doubt this impending judgment of God, Amos centres this funeral song with the God who promises this judgment. Just cast your eyes over verses 8 to 9. What you see is that there is no safe place outside of God himself. Verse 8, he can turn the light into darkness. He can flood the earth. Verse 9, the greatest fortresses are destroyed with ease by God. Israel have presumed to be with this God, to be enjoying his safety. But in their complacency, in their arrogance, in their sin, they now face this God's judgment. So I've shown it to you that Israel are utterly hopeless. Their judgment severe, deserved, long-awaited, and from the hands of a just and powerful God. And yet, somehow... The God in whom there is no safe place outside of offers a glimmer of hope. That's point two, perhaps life. Now so far it's been a funeral song. Death is certain and yet we see life. Verse four, seek me and live. Verse six, seek the Lord and live. Verse 14, seek good, not evil, that you may live. For all their wrongs and failures, God once again shows the way to life. And I want to suggest to you that it's all about relationship. Have a look at verse 4 to 6 again. God says, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Now these places, Bethel, Gilgal, Beersheba, they're kind of like religious hotspots of the day. Modern day examples might be just going to a church building, going to a church service, maybe even a conference. What we see is there is a massive difference between seeking God relationally versus the Israelites just complacently ticking the box. Gilgal is going into exile. Bethel's going to be reduced to nothing, but the Lord... 
The one in verse 9 that destroys the stronghold, it brings the fortified city to ruin, he is the one they should seek. Now, as I said, God does not change. And we see we were made for relationship with him. Despite the very first human's rejection of God, God still makes a way for his people, in this case Israel, to be in a right relationship with him. But we've seen that the rejection remains. See, they want to enjoy the benefits of being God's people, but they reject having a relationship with him. Oh, they'll go to Bethel, they'll go to Gilgal, they'll offer their sacrifices, but ignoring God, they will abuse the poor. They'll reject justice, they'll hate truth. They truly seek God and a relationship with him, well, they're going to be confronted with their sin. They'll realise that if you seek God, you will seek good. That's what we see on the other side of the passage where we have that seek and live language again. Look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. I don't think Amos is providing uh, another way to life here. It's not a case of, well, you can either seek God or you can seek good. Just, Just pick one. Verse 14, it says the Lord being with you, it's, it's relational. As you seek him, you will seek good. Now, a relationship with the Lord is going to expose the evil in their hearts, it will expose the evil in ours. He will call you to account. So as you seek him, you will seek his ways, you'll seek good. That's why by, by verse 15, you will hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. This idea made me consider the deep relationships that I have in my life. Now, there are people who truly know me that I trust. They see who I am. Now, I trust them and will listen to them when they call me out when I need it. Now, these deep relationships can sting at times. It can be painful, but it's out of love and it's for the best. And the temptation for me, and maybe it is for you, is to just push away any of those types of relationships because it's just easier to not have accountability in your life, to not have people tell you where you've gone wrong. So God shows the way via relationship with him. It's not always going to be easy. It will sting for God's people. Imagine them having to turn away from all the riches, all the comfort they've gained from the oppression of, their, of the others. But God is merciful to show the way. It's about relationship that influences our works. And so amazingly, by the time we get to verse 15, perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. It's amazing. When you stop and think about it, it's remarkable. Full and proper judgment is coming upon long-awaited sin and rejection of God. It, It must occur, and yet... Perhaps mercy. Now you might ask, mercy on who? Could God just fully relent on everything he said? Or is it just this this 10% remnant? Well, I think for us at least, whatever the case, two things are really clear. It should come up on the screen. The first is 
It's 100% God's mercy. All of Israel has sinned. All of Israel deserves punishment. So for all to survive, or for just some, it's God's immense mercy. And even if it is just this 10% remnant, whoever they are, I can tell you it's not a special group of the good 10%. Whoever these people are, if they seek the Lord, if they seek good, they're going to stumble and fall. Our natural hearts continue to fail all the time. It's by mercy and God makes a way through his mercy. And the second thing to note is it's, just not, it's not too late to listen. They don't know who it is and isn't for, this call to seek the Lord and live. All they see is that perhaps the Lord will have mercy. What we've seen so far is that the Lord that never changes is a patient God who takes sin seriously. But he deals with it properly and fully. The Lord that never changes is a relational God. He wants his children to seek him and live. The Lord that never changes is a merciful God. Despite rejection, he makes a way to be brought back to relationship with him. We can trust that somehow God will find a way for absolute judgment to occur and for people to have mercy and life. We can be confident of this because this somehow, this perhaps offer of mercy where it becomes clear and certain through Christ today. We're up to point three, perhaps becomes certainly in Christ. Now at this point you might be tempted to think you're glad you're not like Israel. You probably don't levy a straw tax on the poor, whatever that is. Uh, You probably don't oppress the innocent. You maybe don't take bribes. But... At our core, we, like Israel, reject God in not seeking him relationally. Yeah, it played out like that for them. See, we take the good things God has given us, and instead of using them the way God intended, you know, we say, thanks God, I'll take it from here. I'll do things my way. Now, for some, this will be oppressing the poor. It will be grossly perverting justice. We see it all the time in the news. Maybe this could be you. But for others, it may play out in ways where you can easily convince yourself that it's just not that bad. We might act on our sexual desires outside of God's good design for marriage. We might get angry and feel ourselves filled with rage towards others over trivial things like a traffic jam. We might talk behind someone's back to bring them down, elevate ourselves and make ourselves feel better. Whatever it is, this is not the way God intended. See, we reject God's way naturally, and the Bible says this is actually making him to be our enemy. It's serious. And we all do it. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amos 5 shows us the seriousness that God takes sin and that God will deal with all the injustices and rebellion in the world, including our own. And so I wonder, have you ever realised you are just as hopeless as Israel are in Amos chapter 5? See, we need to ask ourselves the question, how do I seek the Lord and live? 
The answer is that mercy and life is in God's Son, Jesus Christ, which is wonderful news. We've got some verses coming up. Jesus says in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't go to Bethel, don't go to Gilgal. Life with God is through merciful relationship, not our works, not our effort. And life is through Jesus Christ. And the certainty of God's mercy is not perhaps because of the cross. You see, the cross is where we see absolute judgment occur, enabling mercy and life to be offered. Jesus, uh, you may or may not know about him, uh, he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He perfectly seeked God. And God's severe judgment for sin, that that wailing in the streets, that destruction of Israel's army that we read about tonight, Jesus didn't deserve that, yet he faced it in our place. Absolute judgment was poured out on Jesus when he died on the cross, so we don't have to face it if we trust in him. It's hard to fathom what this would be like. But Jesus also offers us life because he didn't stay dead on the cross. He rose again, he defeated sin and death, and for all who seek him, who trust in him, who say, Jesus died in my place for my sin and face the judgment I deserve, we can be certain of God's mercy. And that's wonderful news because... Absolute judgment poured out on Jesus, risen again, offering mercy and life to all who trust in him. Well, this is the only way to seek the Lord and live. Israel were God's chosen people. Their rejection of him was especially offensive and arrogant. Yet we live in a time where God has offered certain life to all. So for us to hear this message and reject it, is serious. So I need to ask you all now, do you want to seek the Lord and live? Come to Jesus, confess your sin and trust in him. Mercy and life is certain through his sacrifice and through his life. Don't leave tonight without at least considering what this means for you. You're welcome to talk to me or talk to someone who might have brought you along. Now I want to finish with two questions to ask ourselves, especially maybe for you who do trust in Jesus as your Lord, how we might helpfully apply some of what we've learned. And the first question to ask is, are you relying on works and not relationship? Now I work on the campus at UAW, the Christian group, and it amazes me how many people I talk to, they think to themselves, well, if God exists and if I do enough good... God will accept me. But with some reflection for myself, I often fall into this same trap of thinking. I wonder, do you ever compare yourself with others rather than God's own holiness? Maybe you look at your works, your church attendance, your giving, your Bible reading, whatever it is, you might start to think, maybe I do deserve God's kindness and provision. Now, our works are important, We've seen that in the passage, but if we don't seek the Lord in relationship first, they they come to nothing. And I want to say that seeking good without a relationship with God is a very dangerous idea. You know, we can pick and choose what we think is right, 
We'll determine what we think is enough for God. And we'll protect ourselves from God's word that is going to correct us and rebuke us and sting us at times. And on top of all that, you're probably not going to be able to shake that feeling, that question of, have I done enough to earn God's favour? I'm going to say the simple and clear answer is our works are never enough. We are hopeless. We seek God first and live by his mercy. Mercy can't be earned. That's the whole point. So I plead with you, seek the Lord relationally and live if this is speaking to you. The other question we can ask, and this might be on a different sort of end of the spectrum, is have you grown complacent? Maybe another question is, are you actually seeking good as you seek God? If you look at verse 14 again, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Just as you say he is. The Israelites, they'd grown complacent. They assumed God was with them whilst they continually rejected him and his ways. Now my guess is this was a slow process. Maybe a slow trickle of sin. Small moments of overlooking sin. Small moments of not repenting that grew and grew and grew. That second Bible reading, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 particularly, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We live in a time of grace where mercy and life is offered to all as a certainty for those who trust in Jesus as their Lord. But to have someone as your Lord means that you're going to seek them, you're going to follow them. You see, God's kindness in Jesus is actually meant to lead us to repent. And not just once, but consistently. Have you presumed on the riches of God's kindness? Maybe that slow trickle of sin has just begun for you. Maybe it's been happening for a very long time. Is there sin that doesn't bother you anymore? This is an inappropriate and dangerous response to God's love for you. And I'm speaking, this is a message just as much for me as it is for everyone here. Amos 5.12, For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. Sin is serious and we cannot hide it. Now it might be big sin that you need to repent of. To that I plead with you. Talk to somebody and bring it to the light. Seek the Lord and live. Hate evil, love good. But a helpful litmus test for all of us here. How often do we come to God on our knees, begging for forgiveness, recognising our hopelessness and our sin? How often do we throw ourselves under the unbelievable mercy of God who turned the judgment that we deserve onto his own son, Jesus Christ. I know, at least for me, it's not nearly enough. Lord, how many are my offences, how great are my sins. Thank you, Lord, that despite my great hopelessness, Christ faced the full and deserved judgment for me and offers hope through mercy and life. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, we pray that you will help us to respond to your word tonight. Whatever we need to respond to, help us to, yeah, I guess consider in our hearts um, our relationship with you. We pray that for those of us here that don't yet trust in you, we might consider your great love through Jesus Christ, our great sin, and the certain hope of life through the merciful death of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray for all of us that do trust in you, that you will help us to recognise the importance of our relationship with you, that we will respond with thankfulness and a desire to obey you, that we will seek you, and as we seek you, that we will seek good. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.